Inspirational women are increasingly popular in the news and media, but many go unheard and their stories are never told. Women to Watch with Susan Rocco captures the stories of many women who truly make a difference. Women to Watch is the vehicle for developing new leaders, encouraging younger generations, and in building self-esteem for future entrepreneurs. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860. My name is Sue Rocco. And uh, before we get started with the show today, I wanted to just uh, give a quick shout out for our new website and and hope that you'll all take a look and see who's coming on the show. Uh, Feel free to go to womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net. I'm thrilled today to be joined by um, a local lady. And uh, her name is Dr. Beth Dupree. And Dr. Dupree is the medical director for integrative medicine at Holy Redeemer Health System here in the Philadelphia area. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. We have a lot to cover, a lot to talk about. And um, but as we always do, I'm going to start with your background and find out a little bit about where you came from and and what kind of shaped um you and 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 led you to the position you hold today. So, I understand you grew up in York, Pennsylvania. Yes, I did. Uh, fabulous um, York, Pennsylvania. It's about two hours from here. Uh, it's a beautiful small town. I was the seventh of seven children, and uh, my parents are both still alive, living in York. And I was very blessed to grow up in a city and a place where we were allowed to be kids, and we were allowed to explore and kind of get in trouble without really getting in trouble. Right. Um, and uh, it's, it was just a, it was a great childhood. And youngest of seven, that kind of sets a precedent. For oh, yeah. Youngest of a big family always kind of gets a, a lot of attention. And according to them, I so- did. Yeah. <laughs> according, according to my siblings, I uh, I was in that premier spot. But, uh, you know, there, I, I was told I was adopted for several years, you know, particularly when it was a, a convenient thing. Um, but I have been very close to all of my sisters and my brother and Having come from a big family, you learn a lot about sharing. You learn about leadership because at different times, different people in the family take leadership roles. Mm -hmm. And uh, currently with uh, parents who are, my father's 86 and my mom is 89. Um, My mom has Alzheimer's. So we're now kind of in the caregiver role. And so it's been been a very interesting uh, journey and uh, one that I wouldn't trade for anybody else's life. Yeah, that's great. Um, I I know that... um, an event in your life um, had a lot of impact on you. And um, I wanted to know if you could talk a little bit about the, the death of your brother. Um, this happened when you were a teenager. Yeah, I was uh, I was a senior in high school at York Suburban. And um, ironically, my, uh, my girlfriend who was in the car with me that night when we heard about this traffic fatality in York just called me this week because she had a college friend who had a breast issue in Scranton and wasn't getting the answer she needed. So I was able to help that friend from high school who was with me that night. It's kind of like our world just keeps circling, keeps circling back and forth. But uh, Leslie had said to me when she read my book, she said, oh, my God, that night came back to me because when she read the story of that night when my brother was killed, she said, I didn't realize how much that one event in all of our lives impacted us because all of my friends were trying to help me through a devastating loss. My brother was um, driving home from my sister's 21st birthday party, and he was killed by an underage drunk driver. Mm. And in that split second, my childhood was gone. You No longer are you a carefree 17-year-old going through your senior year of high school 
suddenly you're watching your parents grieve. Mm -hmm. Um, You're watching your siblings, everybody dealing with death and that grieving process differently. And um, in the past year, I just shared with you before we came in here that I've had five very close friends who lost children. And what's been amazing is my dad at 86, his resilience and his need to write letters to my friends and tell them, you know, I was there, you know, this is how I dealt with it. Um, And when people ask my dad at 86, you know, well, when did you get over this loss? And my dad said, I'll let you know if it happens. Mm -hmm. And that's really the message. And what it did was it it really um, kind of set my future, not in in my career, but in understanding that every day is a gift. What we have right in front of us in this moment is very precious. And a lot of people don't really get that until they have um, some type of adversity in their life. Mm -hmm. And I knew that I had choices at that time. I could have gotten angry and, you know, turned to drugs or alcohol or some other, you know, something else to ease the pain. But instead, I kind of looked at it like, you know what? What would my brother have done if he was alive? What would he want us to do? How would he want us to honor, you know, his memory and uh, his passion for life? And uh, I tried to do it in lots of different ways. You know, I got my pilot's license because he had always wanted me to learn to fly. But at 16, I was busy being a teenager. I was busy playing volleyball and chasing guys and, you know, (laughs) doing all all those things that you do as as young girls. Mm -hmm. And I always thought, you know what, I'll learn to fly eventually. Like, I liked it, um, and I'll, I'll get my pilot's license. Because I, I just assumed my brother would always be there, able to teach me. And so... Was that, he next to you as far as age? Oh, we was... were as far apart as you can get. We were 10 years apart. Okay. But since I was the seventh, he knew he wasn't getting a baby brother because there's six girls and a boy. So kind of by the time that my mom stopped having kids, my brother said, well, this is it. So I became the tomboy, you know. <laughs> Took me oh, to so that's where yes, it came from. Took okay. me to the you know took me to the drag races with them. Took me skiing. You know, kind of became that. So I got that very male energy kind of thing. You know, from that relationship with my brother, we were very close. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a wonderful gift though. That w- uh, in all the reading I've done on you, uh, this one word seems to come up over and over: fierce. Mm. And I love that word, and I think it perfectly describes you because. Um, you obviously you're very active in life. You know, you're you're doing so many different things and you have to have this sense of, you know, it, it's always fear that holds us back from from doing things. So just getting your pilot's license alone, I think it takes some, you know, fierce. Uh, well, fear, but, fear is the acronym for fear that I love the best, which came from A Course in Miracles is false evidence appearing real. So when people have fear, it's usually the things it's the unknown that grabs them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, being a cancer surgeon, fear is that one thing. It's the fear of, am I going to be here for my next child's birthday? Am I going to be here to do the things in life that I want to do? And I probably had some fear when I got my pilot's license. I, I was just in Hawaii recently and didn't realize what a big deal it was that I was 18 flying from island to island in a Cessna 150 in a little tiny two-seater airplane with a, you know, with a life vest, which at the time I thought would work if I had to ditch the plane, and I found out later I never had the CO2 cartridges hooked onto it. So oh. I was just wearing a plastic vest for no reason. But, you know, <laughs> I think it was interesting to to go back and say, wow, at 18, I really didn't have any fear because that was that gift that, you know, my brother's, um, you know, premature death let me be not afraid to live. And a lot of people go through life so afraid to live 
that they miss the journey. They're they're thinking about some place where they're trying to go and they miss the journey. And every day, you know, if you don't grab the brass ring when the merry-go-round comes around, you don't always get it to come around again. Right. And so fear paralyzes people from truly living. So yeah. that was the gift that I received. Yeah. And life goes on, right? It we, does. That, that we have no choice. It continues to march on. Um, tell me about when the, your decision to become a doctor happened for you. I know that, um, you know, the passing of your brother kind of shaped the the empathy that you have and wanting to help people. But when did you make that decision that you were going to be a doctor? Um, probably second grade. Oh, it was very early. Um, I knew, I knew that I always wanted to, um, be in a profession of service. I just think that was, that was natural. My, my mother, from the time I can remember, she would, she would call it doing for people. She would drive them places, take them dinner, do their laundry, do their grocery shopping. And when we were younger, we used to think my mom was a martyr, but my mom really wasn't a martyr. She was just a caregiver. And we, as young daughters, didn't recognize that mom was just caring for other people who were in need. And so I think we all got that. We all got that aspect from from our parents. And when I, you know, I, I just knew that I was a healer. I mean, I knew I was a healer in my soul. And I think that I was smart enough to realize it as a healer. If I was going to be successful in the United States in this time, I needed to go to medical school and be a doctor because... You can be a healer without being a physician, but there's a lot of physicians who aren't healers. And so I truly us. needed to figure out that the way to get there. Mm -hmm. So early on, because just so the listeners know, you, you know, today you practice both, you know, the traditional Western medicine, but also holistic and, you know, encompassing the whole person, um, spirit and mind. Was that something that you thought about again when you were just starting out, or did you come to to know that and want to learn more about it as your years as a physician went on? Initially, when I started in medical school, it was it was a, it was the job of getting good grades. It, my right. job was to pass my classes, get good grades. My job was to get a good residency, to get training. Um, surgical residency isn't a very healing profession. I just have to say, it's surgical residency it was right up the street at Einstein. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, right up Broad Street. It was the nothing heals like cold steel to cut is to cure. I was trained by amazing surgeons who um, mentored me and, and helped me to hone my skills as a surgeon. But through my residency, there were little glimmers and experiences where that aspect of healing and spirituality would come through. Um, certain experiences with patients. And um, one, for example, was a gentleman who was, um, he had pancreatic cancer and he was in the hospital and needed to have a catheter placed for chemo. And they were having a lot of difficulty with it down in the interventional radiology suite. And I was there holding his hand, not doing a whole lot, but the um, radiologist couldn't get the stick, couldn't get the, uh, the IV in his neck. And I said, could I just give it a try? You know, and I kind of go in the zone, you know, kind of made the force be with you. Got the line in and um, his family gave me a beautiful Waterford crystal clock with a note thanking me for... Um, taking care of Sydney, taking care of him and um, giving him that gift of time. That clock stopped at the exact time that he passed away several months later. And that was one of those moments. And when I went back to share it with my colleagues in my residency, like, yeah, 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 the battery ran out. But it was something that stuck with me because it was like I knew that there was something else going on. Mm -hmm. And even though I couldn't prove it, 
and I couldn't describe it to get other people to understand it. I knew then that surgery was my gift to be able to move into this avenue of what healing is really about. Right. It, that ability to connect with people. Yes. Right. I would say, um, do you, do you, I'm sure there's some pushback, right, in in the medical field about how much um, Western medicine um, plays a role and how much holistic does. And some people believe in it and some people don't. You, you've experienced it. You know that it, it, it plays a huge role in people's wellness and whether they can beat, you know, an illness. Um, when you first started to, um, to go into it, did you, were you afraid of the pushback you might receive from um, the medical industry? Or? I, don't, I don't think that I was ever afraid of the pushback. I looked at it as this was kind of why I was, God put me on the planet this time around. This is, this is why I'm here. I'm a good doctor. I had I had the street cred. I had the credibility of being a well-respected surgeon. I developed a reputation as being an, a nationally recognized expert in breast care. Mm-hmm. And what I was doing with integrative care wasn't getting rid of everything that I knew as a Western-trained surgeon and physician. All I was doing was adding components of healing that I saw on a day-to-day basis, patient per patient, was making the difference. And so... It was, I didn't, I never felt like I was out of balance or, or that I was getting, you know, I know that there were physicians that, you know, there were some physicians that thought, okay, you know, what, what's, what's she smoking, but they probably should have smoked a little bit of what it was. And, and I mean that figuratively, not literally, cause I don't smoke. Um, but when it takes sometimes experiences in their own personal life. And I think that's one of the things that happened was as I would share and not be afraid to share, writing it in my book, doing things like that gave other physicians and healers and individuals a chance to say, you know what, that stuff has happened to me, but they didn't think about it or they didn't recognize it. And so um, I think that's really what the gift has been is not having that fear. But had I not had the experiences in my life prior to that, mm-hmm. I don't know that I would have been that that able to share and that open about it. And you know, God just keeps bringing the right people into my life. And so you get the spiritual support along the way. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, I love the fact that, again, and that's, to me, it it takes bravery to, I think we all experience and feel things, but we don't speak up about them and we don't talk about them. And the fact that you, um, you have these experiences, but you're sharing it and you're trying to, to let people understand the importance of it and to pay attention to it, I think is really uh, powerful. And what's been amazing is the now there's you know evidence based research on patients who have you know stage two and three breast cancer who receive spiritual support. They they have support groups. They get counseling on nutrition and exercise and meditation. And stage for stage, grade for grade, those patients do better. Mm-hmm. So there's actual research looking at this because isolation is one of the worst risk factors for any cancer, any disease, anything because isolation, you're not having that interaction with another human being. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's what we get from this lifetime. We get that energy that you share with another human being. Right. That's right. all you get. You don't get to take the Mercedes. You don't get to take the Beamer or the boat. You get that energy that you share with another human being. Mm-hmm. And that's the part of healthcare that I, you know, I was, I was away for a couple of weeks over the holidays taking care of me, just kind of checked out because I went Good. to visit my sister in Australia and I didn't miss being in the operating room. 
I didn't miss the medical records and the charting, and I didn't miss being chairman of the Department of Surgery and the phone calls and the letters. I miss the energy that I share with my patients. I miss that relationship. I miss that hug, that connection, that that appointment when I see someone 10, 12, 15 years after their diagnosis coming back to my office saying to me, you know, breast cancer didn't ruin my life. It enhanced my life because it got me to realize what really mattered to me. Mm-hmm. And had I not had you along this way, I might not have woken up to that so quickly. And that's what that's that's what it's all about, you yeah. know. 20% medicine, 80% physician's love. Yeah. I think that's the right cocktail. Yeah, I love that. Um, so in, in 2006, you decided to write a book. And I wonder what precipitated that. In other words, um, sometimes people, you know, think I, I have something to say. I've had some experiences. I think it would be, you know, worthwhile. But what was it that really pushed you to say, you know what, I'm going to do it. I'm going to write this book. Well, a very dear friend of mine, Chris O'Donnell, was um, in the midst of ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, a tough disease. Mm-hmm. And everybody knows about it now because of the ice bucket challenge, thank God. Chrissy had ALS. Um, I was 40. I went on a kind of a spiritual trip for my, I didn't, I didn't want an item. I wanted the experience. So I went on this spiritual cruise. Um, we had uh, rescued some Afghani refugees, and this was the week before 9-11 from the AGNC. So like the, the energy was kind of built up. Um, I did not believe that I needed to write a book. I had never thought about writing a book. It was not on my bucket list, nor did I think I had anything that needed to be written. You know, I was a surgeon. I was doing my thing, learning about energy healing. And um, after we had safely sent the refugees off with the um, the Greek Coast Guard, I woke up in the middle of the night, went into the bathroom of the ship and started writing in my journal and literally wrote one of the chapters of my book. And it was the most bizarre experience because I'm writing it and I'm going, this is pretty good. Um, you had been writing a journal then for some time? No, I just started, right? That I, I that, took a journal on that trip just because I did. I don't know why. Probably I was supposed to. I don't know. And started writing it. And then I would write a little bit more. And then I was like, I don't need to write a book. This There's nothing from, you know, this is not something I need to do. So then I would try to put it away. And I'd wake up in the middle of the night and there would be this stuff that was like, I just had to write it down. Yeah. So finally I said, all right, I need to sleep. So I might as well just write this write it down and get it done because if I'm going to keep waking up at night with all these things that I'm supposed to put down in this journal. So that's how it started. And so I'd write and write and write and write. And then, um, I figured that I just needed to write it. And I, I let Chris, my girlfriend who had a Lou Gehrig's disease, read it. And she's like, you need to publish this. And this is while she was alive. And I was like, yeah, Chrissy and all my free time. So <laughs> and it was like 800, I don't know how many odd pages. And, and it was a lot of stuff. It was about healing relationships and the experiences that I had and sharing the stuff. And so a week after she passed away, I got emails from two publishers asking to read the manuscript. And I'm going, okay. So I knew Chris was a tour de force when she was alive. But now here she was, I think, spiritually. I, I don't know how it happened. I can't explain it. So I sent my manuscript to these different publishers, and um, that was November, and I held the book in my hands on June 8th. It was that quick. And that was amazing, right? Oh, um, it was unbelievable because I was full-time in practice, you know, raising two kids with my amazing husband who, you know, our children would not be normal were it not for him. (laughs) Um, And getting, you know, my editor lived in Boulder, Colorado, so we would be on email back and forth. Um, in the middle, you know, from 10 at night till one in the morning. 
and kind of banged out the book, and that was it. Yeah. It's it's fantastic. I, I can't wait to read it. It's, You'll enjoy it. Yeah, but see, I'm you weren't sure. supposed to read it before this, because otherwise oh, you'd be okay. asking me specific you, you, specific things, and you can okay, always so follow Okay, so it's better that I didn't, even though I, you know. I... And the funny thing is now when you read it, you hear my voice speaking it to yeah. you, because I write like I talk, which is kind of frenetic and fast, and yeah. so it'll go quickly. It makes for a good radio show. There you go. <laughs> which, by the way, Dr. Dupree did have her own radio show here at WWDV, which buddies, I think is interesting. Yes. The Medical View East Meets West. It was awesome. Yeah, yeah. I got a lot of, I'm a beekeeper now because of that show. A we, beekeeper? We had the state apiarist on the show because colony collapse disorder was big back then, and so now I keep bees. Wow. It's cool stuff. Yeah. We have someone actually in our neighborhood who... People come from around the I world. I just bought a hive from Australia. They had this giant um, called Flow Hive. It's a new technology, so it, you don't have to disturb your bees to get the honey. And um, I, uh, friends of ours were staying at our house this weekend. So Steve and I, Steve told me about it because he saw my hives. So we went online. They tried to raise $70,000 with one of, with, it, I forget what it was. Um, it was like Indiegogo or something like that, some website. Mm-hmm. So their goal was to raise $70,000. What do you think they raised in one day? point. Four million dollars. Wow! That, wow. but that you know what that says? It says people care about the planet. They care about the bees. They care about this whole concept of you know we need the bees to produce our produce. Well, we but we didn't know how important bees were. You know what I mean? Years uh, ago, I know, I know. But and all of a sudden, these cool stories are out. Sorry. Yeah. Pretty cool. Okay, here's a question for you. <clears throat> you are a doctor. You're a consultant. Um, you are, um, you know, you sit on boards. You're an author. Um, you have your pilot's license. The list goes on and on for the things that you have done and, and accomplished and continue to do. Are you someone who, um, if you're you're not comfortable being complacent, in other words, if there's not something kind of challenging you and something more to learn, um, are you not at peace? Does that make sense? In other words... When you find those down times, when, when something is not kind of stimulating your brain, um, are you not comfortable in that place? Well, I could have canceled my ticket back from Australia in uh, January, if that tells you anything. I spent time hiking, sitting on the beach, kind of being, reading. Um, I, I do love that. Right. But when there's something that I'm really passionate about, and when there's something that I feel can raise the vibration of the planet, it's hard to let go of it because I know that I, I can get stuff done. You know, mm-hmm. it's a, if, if there's something to be done, you don't give it to the person who has the least on their plate. You give it to someone who can get stuff done. Right. And so if I'm not passionate about it and if I don't feel that if it's purpose driven, I don't get involved. But when something really matters... I'm like the dog on the cuff of a pant leg. I can't let it go. <laughs> I love that. We need we need more people like that because we need people who, who get stuff done. Well, that's why I try to inspire. I mean, I do a lot of public speaking. Even when I'm teaching about new technology or if I'm, you know, I'm speaking at the uh, American Society of Breast Surgeons Conference in May. And I'm prime time, Saturday morning. It's prime time. And I'm speaking on an integrative and holistic approach to breast cancer care, mm-hmm. which is a... Very big topic now. Mm-hmm. And the fact that the American Society of Breast Surgeons, who's very data-driven, very you know evidence-based medicine, the fact that they've placed that topic in prime time and are giving me the great honor of, of presenting that, the time has come. It's, 
people are realizing and physicians and healers are realizing that there's way more to caring for patients and our planet than just the pills mm-hmm. and the radiation and the surgery. Yeah. And so that's the that's the gift is that I've been kind of put in that place to be able to do that. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. Talk about talk about what wellness is. Um, how would you describe it to someone? Um, wellness is a state of balance in one's life where it's not just about your physical being. It's not just about your body mass index. It's not just about your, you know, level of um, body fat compared to uh, muscle ratio. It's about how is your mind emotionally? Where are you emotionally? Are you, do you have joy and bliss in your life? It's about where are you spiritually? Do you have a sense that this is all that there is or that what we're doing right now is just one phase of what your soul is doing? And so wellness is really a, it's balance between body, mind, and spirit. It's balance between your work life and your personal life, which is something I am a work in progress. Um, I, I, you know, I have two beautiful sons who are the most important thing that I've ever done in the world is, is giving birth to these amazing guys who they're both engineers. They have no interest in medicine, um, although they've both done medical missions with me and they get it. And they love doing the medical mission work because they could see the difference that it makes. But to me, wellness is for each individual to figure out what it is that brings you joy and bliss in your life, to figure out what your passion is and your purpose is. And when you can, when you can align your bliss and your joy and your passion, your purpose into a thing called a J-O-B, because jobs are what pay the bills. Mm-hmm. Then, you know, somebody's really, that's like, that's like an amazing state of wellness. Mm -hmm. And so for us, wellness is kind of a lost concept because our healthcare system has become the treater of ills, the treater of disease. And one of the reasons why Holy Redeemer became a health system that I wanted to work with is because they're looking at how do we promote wellness in our patients and not wait to treat the disease. And that's a big deal. And that's got to be the shift that we take nationally for our planet to get healthier. I mean, obesity is one of the greatest ills of our, you know, American society and now pretty much worldwide. And obesity, you know, leads to increased diabetes, you know, high cholesterol, hypertension and bad joints and joint replacements. So there are so many things, so many opportunities for improvement that we have just to get our planet well, Mm -hmm. but it involves getting our people well. So would you say that that um, trying to focus on wellness is going to be a preventative measure so that you don't get sick? Or do you feel that, you know, some things are inevitable and we will get sick, but if we're in a place of wellness or we practice it, then we will heal quicker, better, All of the above. I, I think that, I mean, we know that a lot of breast cancers are preventable if we had a different lifestyle. If we had, if we ate different foods, if we exercised, if we de-stressed differently, um, and so looking at my little microcosm of the breast cancer world that, that we treat, I know it makes a difference there. It can decrease the risk of recurrence by changing your lifestyle. And so um, I look at cancer as mold. You know, if you've got mold in your basement, you get the Clorox out, wipe it down, the mold miraculously disappears. If you don't change the ventilation, if you don't change the light, if you don't change the airflow through there, the mold's coming back. Mm-hmm. And... Western medicine has been very good at treating mold. Now we have to learn on how do you change that microenvironment, and that's where the wellness piece comes in. 
that's where prevention comes in. And so I do think that a big shift has to occur, Mm -hmm. which is why, you know, I was medical director of breast health, which is our breast care program at Holy Redeemer. And, you know, our CEO knew what my passion was with integrative care. So the time came and I passed that baton over to my partners. And now I want to focus on integrative wellness and integrative medicine because the future of healthcare in America is not going to be to find more drugs to treat diseases. It's going to be to reset our basic clock on how we treat our own bodies and how we respect our own, you know, internal workings as a human being, because we all have opportunities for improvement. Right. Would you statistically, are you seeing breast cancer in more and more younger women? Unfortunately, yes. And a lot of, you know, we know that there's a sub a subpopulation that's very easy for us to look at. And they these are patients who carry the breast and ovarian cancer gene, the BRCA gene. Mm-hmm. And we know that we see breast cancers about a decade earlier now than we used to. And it's the same genetic predisposition, but different sets of environmental factors affecting those individuals. So that's kind of that, 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 that foghorn that like blasts in my head that says, You've got to make a difference. We got to do something. Mm-hmm. Um, can you tell me what some of your spiritual practices are? Because you know we talk about the the different things we need to do, and that's one piece of it. What are some of your spiritual practices? My simplest one is my three bre- my three deep breaths when when somebody gets under my skin before I open my mouth. Um, I take three deep breaths just to center myself and to get to a place where I can respond as opposed to react. And whatever energy you put out is what you're responsible for. So I always tell everyone when they come to my operating room in the morning, you're responsible for the energy that you bring in the room. And if you're coming in with a bad attitude or a bad morning, you need to get rid of it outside that door because once you bring it in there, my patient is open to that. Mm -hmm. Um, Very simple spiritual practice. I also practice a a form of called yoga nidra, which is a mindfulness uh, relaxation technique. My sister Sue, who is a yoga master in Australia, taught it to me. And I actually have her recordings on my phone. So when I need a 20-minute Sue session, I turn my iPhone on and I I actually disappear into this amazing meditation. I want to talk more about these practices when we come back. We're going to take a quick break and we will be back with Dr. Beth Dupree, Medical Director of Integrative Medicine at Holy Redeemer Health System. We'll be right back. Are you looking for something special to wear to an event, on a date, or out with the girls? Nevada is a Philadelphia-based luxury label designed for the effortlessly chic global nomad. Our ready-to-wear and custom pieces, which include bridal wear by the way, are inspired by artistry and travel. The line is intriguing and exotic. After all, fashion should create a sense of escape. So go ahead, escape with Nevada, and make a timeless impression. Please visit us online at nevadacouture.com. Drexel University's LeBeau College of Business is more than a place to earn a degree. It's the epicenter of critical new ideas, an entrepreneurial spirit, and a powerful network of over 2,500 corporate partners. From March 2nd through the 6th, get an inside look at what it's like to be part of the LeBeau online community with a free digital test drive. Participants will be able to experience online learning, explore student support services, and interact with Drexel faculty, staff, students, and alumni. 
Drexel's bachelor's and master's business programs rank among the best in the nation, with the online MBA recently being named as the number one program in the world for career services after graduation by Financial Times. Join the LeBeau test drive and experience studying as an online business student. Visit drexel.com slash LeBeau online. That's drexel.com slash L-E-B-O-W online to sign up today. Drexel.com slash L-E-B-O-W online. Reimagine the future of business with Drexel University's LeBeau College of Business. Welcome back, everyone, to this week of Women to Watch. My name is Sue Rocco, and I'm in the studio today with Dr. Beth Dupree. And uh, Dr. Dupree is the Medical Director of Integrative Medicine at Holy Redeemer Health System. Um, She's also the author of a wonderful book called The Healing Consciousness, um, which I highly recommend you go out and buy. Um, She is also... um, a uh, a professor. Uh, one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was the fact that you are a professor at Penn. I have. I'm an adjunct assistant professor of surgery because we train surgical oncology fellows, breast, young breast surgeons who are in training. Mm-hmm. Um, rotate through our practice. Um, we have them come from the University of Pittsburgh, from Bryn Mawr, um, in the past from Penn, from um, Anne Arundel, different uni- different institutions uh, that they're. Their training programs um, see the value in two things. Number one is we do minimally invasive breast biopsies uh, with ultrasound and stereotactic guidance. And a lot of programs, those biopsies are done by radiologists, so they want the surgeons to have exposure. The second thing is a lot of the programs also recognize that survivorship has become a very big piece of how we care for patients. It's okay to treat the cancer, but if you don't help your patients in survivorship, all of those things that come later, then your patients sit in the kitchen in fear with the lights off waiting for cancer to come back. Mm-hmm. So it's all about how do we educate them about nutrition um, and other things like massage and healing touch or Reiki or um, stress reduction with yoga or Tai Chi. So the breast fellows come through our practice and we actually we you know teach them intraoperatively we teach them in the office, and they also get to learn the philosophy of integrative care. My um, Two of my other partners, Dr. Kreischer and Dr. Carruthers, both just became board certified in integrative medicine as well. So I believe we are the only um, breast surgery practice in the country that has three surgeons that are board certified in general surgery and also in integrative medicine. And that speaks to our whole philosophy you know, at Holy Redeemer, which is care, comfort, and heal. Mm-hmm. You can't just take care of the cancer and not take care of the patients. Yeah. So um, that's been a really awesome process. And the fellows kind of love it. Mm -hmm. And we've even taken it one step further, which you might not know about this. Um, Over the past several years, Dr. Scarlett, who is the plastic surgeon I do the majority of my reconstruction with, he and I put together a survivorship experience for young breast surgeons. And this year we are doing a three-day intensive weekend for, I think we have 25 young breast surgeons signed up. They come from all over the country, and we spend three days educating them about survivorship. So we teach them about the role of a nurse navigator in the process. We teach them about lymphedema prevention and treatment. We teach them about genetic risk assessment for their patients. Um, We teach them about fertility preservation and how to approach a patient who's potentially going through chemo and allowing them to preserve their eggs so that after chemotherapy, they can be, you know, become parents. Um, We... um, 
bring Susan Kellogg. She's a, a specialist in sex therapy. She's a riot. She's a total hoot. Um, Susan comes down and talks about um, sex and intimacy after breast cancer because sex and intimacy is something that a lot of doctors never even touch with upon with patients. And going through cancer, everything's everything's changed. Mm-hmm. And if you don't ask the patients the questions, it's not like they're going to walk in the office and say, hey, doc, I haven't had sex in a year. But being able to teach these young surgeons this, and also we give them the experience of learning um, about a lot of the healing modalities that my foundation, the Healing Consciousness Foundation, mm-hmm. provides for patients. So um, the, the greatest thing about that course, besides getting them all together and kind of raising that vibration, is that companies that have the cutting-edge Western medicine technology, you know, such as Medtronic and um, Devo, uh, uh, Devacor and Mentor, different uh, Mamatome, different companies that usually spend money to train doctors on procedures and devices, they're investing their money and their dollars in educating young surgeons about the part of healthcare and the part of breast cancer that's the toughest to deal with which is survivorship. So, you know, I say kudos to these companies because they could be spending money doing other things, Mm -hmm. but they see the value in investing in these young surgeons. So that's another thing that I've really been passionate about because we can only take care of the number of patients that we see in our small, you know, area here in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. But if we have 25 surgeons or 30 surgeons every year that go all over the country, those seeds get planted. Right. And as those seeds get planted and grow more patients are given the opportunity to have the healing modalities that we provide to our patients at Holy Redeemer. Mm -hmm. Do you think there will be a time when the integrative aspect will be a part of the curriculum in med school or are you seeing that already? It's already happening. It's already happening. There, there are there. A lot of schools have integrative medicine clubs. Um, A lot of universities have programs that are designate designated as integrative and holistic programs and what we're trying to do with Holy Redeemer is make integrative care a part of the entire health system, mm-hmm. which is is it's challenging at times because of, you know, like you said, there are some physicians that may not see the benefit to it, but I know the benefit to the patients. And now it's a matter of just gently bringing these aspects into everything that we do mm-hmm. in healthcare. Would you say that the non-believers are really from a particular generation and that, you know, the younger ones coming through because they're they're learning about it? Um, that, you know, there's less of them. I think that the younger physicians coming in there, a lot of these kids are like indigos and crystal children. They're, they're children that they're wired differently. They're coming with a sense of wonder. Like they, they may have the science and techie background. Mm -hmm. They may be math and science scholars, but they're also seeing that there's another aspect to healthcare that we need to focus on in order to really, you know, shift how healthcare is provided. Let's talk about your foundation. Oh, uh, and, one of my uh, favorite topics. Great, great. And, and and I understand that your sister is the executive director. Is she? Yeah, still my in that? my sister Anne uh, Griffiths is amazing. She's uh, actually on vacation right now. We Much could have needed. had her come in with you. I, I know. Well, she, you can have her Next herself because she's an amazing woman who has an amazing story. She used to, you know, run a multi million dollar company, and uh, because there were shifts in that company, she had a break in between that company and her next job. And so she said, well, you know what, let me spend this time focusing on really, you know, getting the found, you know, running the foundation like a business. Cause prior to a year ago, it was a totally volunteer organization. Everybody volunteered their time. And uh, we realized that if we wanted to grow as a foundation, 
we need to start it running it as a business. Mm-hmm. And the best way to run it as a business is to find someone who knows how to run a business. And my sister, Anne knows how to run a business. She's tough. I mean, Good. she, she holds, she's my taskmaster and she's very patient with me because she knows that I have lots of things to do during the day. So she usually gives me two or three email follow-ups to get my stuff done, but she has created um, an amazing group of individuals within our foundation to basically raise awareness. Um, and we, we have a big awareness campaign going on this year. And last year we hit the $1 million mark. We raised a million dollars. Wow, that's Which fantastic. isn't bad for a kind of a grassroots, yes. starting from scratch kind yeah. of organization. And all that money goes back in directly into providing services for our patients. Great. And so um, the foundation's main purpose is to basically be the the cement between the bricks. If the bricks are Western, traditional Western medicine, you know, a brick of surgery, a brick of radiation, a brick of chemo, a brick of whatever, the mortar in between them that holds that all together are the healing aspects, the nutrition the um, healing services, uh, providing someone the opportunity to get fitted for a wig in a situation which is really personal and not, you know, and not scary. Um, taking care of our um, families when someone passes from breast cancer and providing healing services and, and uh, sessions for grief counseling. Some of our biggest pushes this year are really nutrition, education, lifestyle modification, and uh, every single patient in our practice that comes through it gets uh, what we call five healing certificates. We, that's, there are five one-hour sessions with amazing healers who um, have been kind of vetted by our organization. So we do background checks. We make sure that they're insured and that they have all their credentials. So um, every single practitioner that works with us has gone through a rigorous process, and uh, we've all experienced them. And the patients come back over and over and over again and say, you know, Dr. Dupree, the surgery you did was amazing. But my session with Mary Lou or my session with Donna or Connie Cefeli teaching me about how to eat healthier, you know, those are the things that are changing my life. Yeah. And so the foundation has really been able to give us that extra piece of what Western medicine hasn't to date been able to provide. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really educational. It's full of resources. And yeah. the website is hcfbucks.org. And on there we have... We have a ton of patients who now join our support groups. Um, this coming Thursday, um, our support group is meeting in Ben Salem. And if you go on to the website, if you're a breast cancer survivor in the area, um, you can come to the meeting. I'm actually going to be speaking on lifestyle modification and risk reduction. So it's going to be a great night because I'm a pretty good speaker. And uh, <laughs> I get that sense. The, the girls have been waiting for this. Um, some of the some of the women in the group had gone on a survivor's cruise where I gave this talk last year and they mm-hmm. said, you have to come do this for our group. So I'm expecting about 150 women at least will be there and men because we do have male um, members of our support group as well. Mm-hmm. Well, here's the thing I think is important is that family members, you know, need to be a part of it because I don't think there's any family. There's no one today that doesn't either have a relative with cancer or know somebody with cancer, right? It's, it's just it, with all of us. So um, the foundation, are there things directed towards family members of patients going through cancer as well? Absolutely. And we actually have a, a, a caregiver support through Holy Redeemer as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we encourage family members to participate in our healthy cooking classes with the survivors because we want it to become a change for the entire family, not just the individual who had cancer. Right. And we look at that as paying it forward because what we're doing is we're not just, you know, handing somebody 
a, you know, stationary object and saying, here, this is a gift. What we're giving them is the gift of changing the risk for their family in the future with education and nutrition. And those are the things that are going to make a big difference in healthcare as a, as a whole. You just said something that reminded me to, to um, a, a phrase. I think it's from your book or it's just something that you say. And, and that is that the, the gift is the present. Or am I getting it backwards? The present Yester- the, is it came the gift. From the quote, Yesterday's history, tomorrow's a mystery. Today is a gift. That's why we call it the present. And I know when patients have really turned that corner with their cancer diagnosis, when they can come back to my office and say, Dr. Dupree, I can see the gift in cancer now. My coffee smells better. The roses are more fragrant. The coffee tastes better, should. The coffee can smell better, too, because I probably need some coffee. Um, my children's smiles are brighter. I look, at, I look at my birthday as a gift of aging and not, oh, my God, I'm turning 50. Right. Um, and so when cancer becomes that gift that it has awakened someone to what truly matters in their life, you know, that's where it becomes the gift. And mm-hmm. every day that we wake up and walk out our door, it is a gift. That's and, right. you know, losing my brother in a heartbeat, having dinner with him, having walk, having him walk out of my parents' house and never being able to talk to him again physically. That was that moment that you suddenly realize that every day is a gift because by the grace of God, none of us know what the future holds. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had patients who are diagnosed with cancer. Um, I have one patient who was, they, she had just come back from an amazing trip and um, she got diagnosed with cancer. And I give my patients a pink rose quartz heart when they're diagnosed um, to be that touchstone, to remind them that they have to make themselves the most important person in the world. I give the spouse or the caregiver or the support person another pink rose quartz crystal to stay connected. And um, this woman needed to have chemo first. And um, so she started chemotherapy. Her husband was with her. And unfortunately, he passed away several weeks later. He was a football coach, was going out to have a a burger with the guys after a game. They came knocking on the door, and there he was. He had died in their living room. And, you know, she tells me that those weeks that they had together after that vacation when she was going through chemo was some of the most precious time together because they shared things that they otherwise wouldn't have shared. Mm -hmm. And here she thinks she's the one that's at risk of dying from cancer. Mm. And he passed away. And she said the one thing that always made her crazy was that she couldn't find his crystal. It wasn't He always had his pants pocket. And I said, he took it with him. I said, I know he took it with him because he was that kind of guy so that they could stay connected. Yeah. Wow. And on that wow. vacation, she had a picture of the two of them. Some, one of their friends took it of them sitting on the beach. I think they were in St. Thomas. And they took it from behind. And he had his arm around her. And I went to visit her in some of her subsequent chemos, and she had that picture sitting there with her because he was with her. He was with her in spirit. And when you say that there's no, you know, things happen for a reason, Mm -hmm. you know, imagine had she not had cancer and she not had those, you know, six or eight weeks where they were completely, totally focused together before he passed. All the things that all those woulda, coulda, shouldas. And it doesn't make it any easier to lose a loved one. But we often think that the person diagnosed with cancer, and I have, I can give you a hundred patients who something like that has happened where something else happens in their life and they say, were it not for their cancer and the focus that they had realigned to their lives and to being present, the difference that it would have made in their life. Yeah, it it is. It's a tough issue, but 
you know, you have to find the meaning, right? Absolutely. And and we were just talking before we came in here about how many sad things happen every day, all the time. And if you can't look at them and, and look for that meaning, um, you know, you, you won't get out of bed the next day. I, I always tell my patients, you know, the adversity of cancer is a great opportunity for spiritual growth if you choose to accept the challenge. Yeah. Because you can, you can go into the darkness. You can go into the deep, dark hole. Mm-hmm. Um, but I like to reach my hand down and pull people up. I, I want to know what your, um, your kind of self-talk is. So, you know, when we get, we get the, that phone call, something really devastating uh, happens. What, what is it that you're saying to yourself to, to, to keep moving forward? I, I kind of go in, first, first thing I do is I kind of, it depends what happens. I always go into caregiver mode. If, it, if something happens to someone that I love and I need to support them, I become, you know, the, the mother bear and I'm protecting the bear cub because I try to look at how can I help that person at this exact moment? Mm-hmm. Not what am I going to do a year later? What can I do at this moment? Does this person need me to be there physically or does this person need me to back off? Because everybody goes through adversity differently. Mm -hmm. Um, And what I try to do myself is to say, okay, there's always, there's always some glimmer of light in the darkness. And, you know, you look at 9-11, tragic, devastating, horrible. You look at how people pull together after 9-11. My only sadness sadness now is it's, you know, it's, it's been so long people forget. Mm. And how do you, how do you continue to remember and hold that? thought and hold that space while you go to move on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I can't, you know, with all the things that have gone in my life, you know, when, when my hospital that I built in 2007 closed, I was devastated. I mean, there were nights I bawled my eyes out. I mean, I didn't let people see it, but I was sad because 80 some people who loved me and believed in what I did were part of, you know, when I got that phone call that the hospital's closing, let me tell you, you, you could, there was a, a, a boot gut like kicked so far into me. I, I had this cowboy boot that with its steel tip toes stuck in my belly and that pain and that anguish. I was like, okay, what do you do now? Mm-hmm. You know, you make a couple phone calls, you, you call in the people that you can trust. Mm-hmm. And so when difficult things happen, you may, you know, you, you know who you can trust in your life and you pull those people close to you and you don't act like you're out there all by yourself. Right. Because I told you isolation is the worst thing in the world. Right. Nobody else can sometimes take that pain away, mm-hmm. but other people can be there to support you as you support someone else. It's kind of like that, you know, holding that energy. Yeah. And, you know, I, I find that some people are good with the logistics. You know, when something happens, logistics need to be taken care of and, and be done. And then there's people that are really good with the emotional support. And if you can have the both types of people around you and in your life, that's really a great thing. I've been uh, I've been very blessed to have kind of the best of both of those. If I need to be logistical, I can. If mm-hmm. there's a, a logistically gifted person, I will gladly hand it over right. and I'll be the hugger. I can totally, I'll yeah. do whatever I need to do. Yeah, and and we need both sides. Um, we only have a few minutes left and I, and I know that there's, there's women listening um, and they're inspired by you and the work that you do. And I'd love for you to just leave, you know, a bit of advice for a woman who is, um, you know, she's really, she kind of has a sense now of what her purpose is and what she should be doing, but she still holds on to that fear that she's not good enough. What would you say? When you can figure out what matters to you, when you can figure out what your purpose is and you go about your day trying to live your purpose, think about the energy that you're putting out on the planet and think about, you know, you're raising the vibration of the planet just by doing 
what you love. Because when you do something from your heart, it has a different energy attached to it. And despite the fact that I followed my heart when I built that hospital Mm -hmm. and I was doing it for the right reasons, that initial failure, if I didn't believe in me and if I didn't really believe that that was my passion and my purpose, I could have just dropped the whole thing. But instead, I found someone else who also believed in that passion and purpose. And that's what I did. I, I, I chose to align myself with Holy Redeemer as a health system because I realized I didn't have to go it alone. Right. I thought I had to do it by myself. Right. So if you know what your passion and purpose is, don't think that you have to you know, create the mousetrap by yourself. There are architects out there that can build better than you. Um, but know what you can do well. Do it. And... You know, when you follow your heart's passion, the universe conspires in your favor. My favorite quote from um, the, uh, I'm losing my mind today. Um, my kids would be like, oh, the alchemist. My, my children would be like, mom, you made us read it in seventh grade. In the alchemist, <laughs> um, this, uh, it's by Paulo Coelho, the, this shepherd, it's a, great, it's a great parable. The shepherd realizes that when you follow your heart's passion and you figure out what your purpose is, things start falling into alignment. And you don't have to do everything yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, I now know that I can rely on people and their gifts and what their passion and purpose is and come together um, to see things come to fruition. And that's what I'm doing now. I, I've got great people supporting me. My sister in the foundation. Mm-hmm. I have my integrative lead at Holy Redeemer, Jody Hutchinson, who's helping me hold that vision and that and that that energy. Um, I've got people everywhere. You know, I've got my husband you know, who's always held that vision with our kids. So my children now are, they're inspiring me because they're doing what they love. They're not, you know, their, their job, as far as I'm concerned, is to figure out what they love in life right. and make it happen. Yeah. And there's nothing better than them, right? On oh, the worst my kids day. The, if you, they're the best things in the world. Right. A, a nurse told me once, you're only as happy as your least happy child. That's so true. And so <laughs> making sure that my children are happy right. and well-adjusted has been... You know, and I'm blessed because I have really good kids. Yeah. My my boys are awesome. Well, I, I would imagine you're a good mom. Um, do, do you get tired? You know, what you, a typical day for you. You're, you know, I'm sure you're up early. You're going, going, going all day. Um, do, do you get tired? Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, sometimes I crash. That's why I do um, the, the practice of well, Yoga Nidra. We didn't get Nidra. to talk about Re- Reiki. Yeah, which well, I... the practice of Yoga Nidra. This is a good one because anybody okay. can do this. Okay. My sister introduced this to me because 20 minutes of Yoga Nidra is equivalent to three hours of sleep because it's such an ancient practice in India that this yoga nidra, it takes you to an amazing place. So I, I get a three hour boom with my 20 minutes of investment. And so if you're a business person, you're looking for the ROI, what's your return on investment? A 20 minute yoga practice, three hours worth of bodily rejuvenation. Mm-hmm. You can't get that return on investment anywhere else. Yeah. How do you turn it off though in order to, to what exactly what is this, this okay so yoga. the reason yoga nidra works for me mm-hmm. my brain goes constantly yoga nidra is a it's a focused meditation practice where you just lay on your back in shavasana you just lay on your back i can do that um and <laughs> you're guided through your fingertip your joint your palm your wrist your elbow and literally you can't be at two places at once so if you are listening to the meditation and you're focused on the voice of the person guiding you through it, you can't be doing your laundry list. You can't be, you know, at the grocery store. You can't be thinking of all the other stuff. And it's perfect for the Western mind because we're so geared to get it done and have all these things to do. Mm -hmm. 
that yoga nidra gives me that gift of being exactly present. And I have to tell you, I've now that I've been practicing it so long, you know, by the time I'm at my shoulder, I don't know where I am. But 20 minutes later, I'm hearing my sister's voice say, okay, come back. But can you do it by yourself? Or oh, you do it by yourself. Oh, okay. But oh, you said oh. there's a voice telling you, is it well, a, I will, a tape? He, well, here's what I can do. I can. It's my sister's yoga nidra. And if she gives me permission, I will give you the file and you can upload it and people can download it and play it. And it's amazing. Okay. Because she owns, it's hers. Yeah. It sounds she's wonderful. She's pretty cool. Yeah. I, I would love to meet her. Well, she's coming in June. She's coming in June. From Australia. Too? She's an amazing, oh, okay. she's, she's a clinical social psychologist, was an amazing accountant with KMG Pete Marwick, went to Australia. Now she's an energy healer. She's awesome. Yeah. Does she work with people that are members of the foundation? Yes, she and, does. And can you, and, and for people listening, if they go to the site for the uh-huh. foundation, which that, what is the address for that again? www.hcfbucks.org. Hcf. Mm-hmm. And I will put that up on my website. Perfect. Um, but do you join or is it just a site that you go, you know, do you become we, a member or do you, you go can, in? If you're a breast cancer survivor, you can join the group mm-hmm. because we only let breast cancer survivors in. And we have survivors from all over the place that come and join the group. And uh, we we do give, we they do have access to the services. We just have to get permission from their physicians because we need to make sure that every physician, every patient, that their doctors know what they're going to be doing in right. the healing because it's, it's just, it's common courtesy. Yeah. Okay. All right. Terrific. Thank you so much for coming in here today. It was a great discussion. I'm so glad that we had you for an hour out of your busy day. It was awesome. It was a great, great advice. That's it, everyone, for this week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860. Again, my name is Sue Rocco, and I just had a the privilege of, of interviewing Dr. Beth Dupree, the Medical Director of Integrative Medicine at Holy Redeemer Health System. If you'd like to um, find out more about the show, feel free to go to our website at womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net. Have a great week, everyone.